Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Amen. So yes, this is the Zeal of the Lord uh, series, Session 3, God's Zeal for His Name. And this is really the, it, this ties it all together as a third part, you know, session should. Um, this really brings it home. And so uh, before we, we kind of jump into a, a little bit of an overview and recap, because it's, it's been nine months since the other two sessions, um, I just want to give a little exhortation, uh, as I love to do. Just my whole heart with this series is like um, so much... So often we study the end times to know events and to prepare our hearts, and all that is good and right, yes and amen. We want to, we want to know that. We want to peer into the depths and figure out what's happening and how can we prepare. Um, but equally as important um, in my heart behind this series is I want us to encounter the heart of the Lord in the end times as the, the greatest, you know, it's, it's the day of the Lord. It's his day when he, he comes down and we get to see him act and we get to see his, how he brings all of human history, you know, how he ties it up and, and brings in the fullness. And so it's like, it's the, 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 the period where we, I know we didn't know this, but it, it's a period of the greatest, like, I think like the greatest revelation of, of the Lord expressed, um, and so just the, one of the apostolic prayers that we pray around here a lot um, is the prayer for the church to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And whether that's a new believer or ones who have a weekly encounter service for, you know, lots of years, we always, we always want to be reaching, Lord, I want to grow in, in the knowledge of you and the grace of who you are. I don't want to just coast. I don't want to just be like, I got that. I want to, want to press in. You know, you guys know the passage, Philippians 3. Paul, at the end of his life, he's in prison, he's done so much, and he's like, I'm pressing on, y'all. He's like, I forget what lies behind, I have not finished the race. Like, you guys can, like, do your thing, but, like, I'm, I'm in prison, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to die soon, and, like, I'm going to reach all my days, if that's one day or ten days or whatever. He's like, I'm going to keep running after this knowing Jesus thing. And so, if Paul, if Paul in prison is doing that, then we can stir ourselves up and, and just uh, say, Lord, touch me during this session tonight. Show us another glimpse of your zeal. So all that to say, um, uh, yeah, tonight is his zeal for his name. And I want to start with uh, point A, the three-in-one zeal of the Lord. Our, our last two sessions were first God's zeal for Jerusalem and his zeal for the people of Israel. And really these, uh, I was thinking about it, it really uh, compares to the, the Trinity, the, the similar nature of Trinity where God is three persons but he's one. So they're like, they're three parts. So each Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have their own distinct purpose and function and kind of role in the Trinity, but then they're all like, they're God. So they're like different, but they're the same. Um, and so this, the, these three sessions really, his zeal for Jerusalem, his zeal for Israel, his zeal for his name, similar thing. They're three different kind of like parts of the burning flame, one flame of his heart, of his zeal. Uh, and there's kind of like a bunch of different offshoots of his zeal, but these are kind of the three, three like main, uh, I use the analogy of the first session, that, like, these are the three main rivers that all the tributaries of things that he wants to see accomplished uh, come back to. These are the three, as I surveyed scripture, the three that the most often that he, when he uses the term zeal or his jealousy, it comes back most often to his zeal for Jerusalem, his people, and his name. Um, so there, uh, Revelation 21 just if you're a big picture kind of person, like, like where is it all going? <clears throat> if God is zeal, like where does all of his zeal for Jerusalem and Israel and his name lead to? It, it leads to this verse in Revelation 21. 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So he wants to be with them, so he has zeal for Israel. He wants to dwell with them in a specific place, uh, Jerusalem. So he's got zeal for Jerusalem, and he wants to be, the last part, God himself. He wants to be with them, enthroned uh, as their God, honored and adored, and championed in their midst. So that's zeal for his name. So this, this verse here, kind of all these three um, uh, parts of his zeal, of his heart, they, they culminate in his, they culminate really in, in the beginning of the story, God and man in the garden, God, man, no sin in their midst. Like this, it's, it's the whole story it brings back uh, to that. And so just find that these, again, these, these rivers of his zeal run to that place of us being with God, him being our God, or sorry, yeah, him being our God, us being his people. Okay, so tonight, kind of an overview of where we're going, zeal for his name. We're going to uh, look first at his, just like what is like zeal for his name? What does that mean when, if someone is jealous for their name? Like kind of what, what's going on there? We're going to look at uh, specifically how he, he tied himself to covenant for Israel and anything that, that happens to Israel is a direct reflection of God's nature, which is, is really, really... Uh, Risky, quote unquote, on the Lord's part. Uh, we'll we'll dive into that more. Uh, then the, the 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 interesting thing is that he tied his name to Israel, but then Israel in the last days is largely unfaithful. So what's God going to do? <laughs> He's in a conundrum. Well, he, he, acts, he acts for his zeal, which we'll look at. And then as he's acting for his zeal, as he's vindicating his name, fighting for Israel, uh, winning her heart, all the lost people of the earth, they kind of get thrown into this. And they, they unrepentant ones, they experience a lot of negative things as a result of God's zeal. So that's kind of the, the trajectory of, of where we're going tonight. Point B, the one and only Lord. Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to examine first, he's, he's jealous for his name. So when, when someone's like, what is your name? If you think of like someone's name, um, if you think of like uh, fast food, you know, if you think of In-N-Out, it comes with a certain connotation, or Whataburger, certain connotation, McDonald's, yeah, certain connotation. Like every company or person has a name. You think of, you know, Justin Bieber, you think of, you know, there's so many like, like you, you, you hear someone's name and you instantly, um, whether you try to or not, you, you have... Uh, some thoughts normally about the people and the, the, the things, uh, businesses and such and so forth. So a, a name has a lot tied to it. It has reputation. It has history. You know, maybe um, when I think of, I think of a lot of things when I think of Chick-fil-A. But one of the things I think of is they, they're, like, super generous. They have great customer service. They, like, give away stuff all the time. So when I think of Chick-fil-A, I'm like, I remember their good deeds towards me and how many chicken sandwiches I've gotten for free because they just wanted to give me them, and I get my email, and I'm like, oh, another one. And so, like, like everyone's name has something tied to it. Again, both character points and then, like, what they've done. And so the, when the name, uh, and it, so it's connected to your character. It's connected to, to like, what kind of person are you? You know, if, if, you, uh, if you're a person that, you know, a person you know, a coworker that always says something, and then they never follow through, um, they, they kind of build that reputation of, like, person that's not trustworthy. Uh, and of course, they have a, the opportunity to redeem themselves and all that, and we can be gracious. But um, but yeah, a name, it, it speaks a lot, the name of somebody or something. 
And so when we say the Lord is jealous for his name, like he, it's, it's all of that. It's his character, it's his deeds, it's how he wants to be known. Um, and he, he's, all, he's an all-in kind of God. So he doesn't just want to, you know, be known by a little segment of, of people over here in Pantigo, Texas. Like he wants every single human heart, all of creation, the angels, the demons, the, the whales and the trees. Like, like he wants everything, like praising his name and honoring his name. And so he's really, really committed to to his character uh, being seen and then responded to in worship. And so his zeal, that, that's kind of what, uh, an overview of what we mean by he's zealous for his name. And so we'll look at all of the different uh, ways that that's expressed. Okay, so this one's fun. So the, the, the one and only Lord. So he, he is really, really committed, and he's God, so he's going to get it. He's really committed of, to be exalted as the one and only Lord, that there be no other, the name above all names, as Yana was was singing. And so there's kind of there's kind of two options that I can see. There's the ones that voluntarily enter into this, and then there's the ones that involuntarily enter into this. And either way, he's going to get the acknowledgement from everybody that he is the Lord. And so uh, pro tip, you probably want to be in the voluntary honoring Jesus camp if you are concerned about your well-being. You want to go in that route. So this first verse here, Psalm 110, uh, verse 2 and 3, this is the voluntary group. <coughs> so it says, the Lord uh, sends forth from Zion his mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely. So there's volunteer freely. They'll offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. So these are the ones that gladly worship Jesus. It's, it's us. Right now, we're already, we're already doing it. We're already praising him. And we're going to, by golly, we're going to stick it out until the end. Well, then there's the other camp. There's the ones that say, no, I don't like that Jesus guy. I don't want anything to do with him. Well, that, that may be where they're at now. Um, and praise God, there's a window of mercy for them to repent. But if they keep up that attitude, it's going to lead them to a place they're not going to be happy about. But eventually, again, like, as this verse says, I'll just read the, the, the underlying part there. Um, Isaiah 45, it says, To me, uh, every knee shall bow. So it doesn't say every knee that's excited. <laughs> like, every knee and every tongue. If you got knees, if you got a tongue, congratulations. If you're a, a tree, I don't know that you have knees and tongues, but still every tree, it's, it's the same thing. So every knee, every tongue will bow, will swear allegiance to the Lord. And so again, he's really, really jealous. He's like, I want you to want it, but even if you don't, like, I'm going, to, I'm zealous for my name. I'm going to have every single thing, living creature, creation, you guys get it. Everyone is going to acknowledge that he is the Lord. Kind of intense. This, this zeal subject, again, it's, 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 it's both encouraging and exciting to us, but it's also really intense and really sobering. The more you dive into it, like all of the, the negative or the, the, the really, you know, gritty parts of like, if you don't respond to the zeal, like, he has really, really strong things that he does and says towards those people. Next one, he's committed to his name being treasured. Again, this is just explaining a little bit more of what, what it means that he's zealous for his name. He's committed to his name being treasured. I love Isaiah uh, 33 there. It says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness, and he'll be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. And then skipping down to verse 17, says, Your eyes will behold 
the king and his beauty. And so this, this is the promise ultimately of him ruling from uh, Jerusalem and the, the people of Israel and Zion. Like it says, the fear of the Lord will be the treasure. It will be a people who, who fear his name, who love it, who treasure it. And it will be those who, who see his beauty, who see his leadership expressed. It's, that's what Jesus yearns for. Again, the volunteer, voluntary people who he does all of his goodness. And then we look at him and we're like, oh my gosh, you're beautiful, you're worthy. And we, we give him that response. That, that's what he wants ultimately. Again, if he had it his way, there would be no uh, involuntary worshipers. It would be every single buddy creation. Like If he had it his way, he would get everyone a voluntary uh, acknowledgement of his name. Okay, Second uh, Thessalonians 1. There, I'll just read the underlying part. It says, when he comes on that day, it's clear from the uh, context, that's the day of the Lord when he returns, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled, marveled at by all who have believed. So he, he again, this is promise that if, if his goodness and beauty in the last in the last generation, the end times, it's going to cause a response where we're going to marvel. Even, you know, ones who know and love him now, like we're going to just have our mind blown and marvel at, at, at who he, what, is, what he does for the sake of his name. Well, here's another really intense one, point D, zeal shown in the law. Um, this is uh, Leviticus 24, 16. So, uh, you know, he's, he's teaching the people of Israel a new way. He's, he's telling them how to relate to a holy God. He's trying to teach them between what is common and what is, you know, what is holy. And in the context of all of that, there's lots of chapters that discuss that. He gives them this uh, little piece, this little warning, and it's really a, really a principle that... Uh, Blasphemy equals death. Um, uh, and this is carried on from the people of Israel, obviously, from their day all the way through until the end times. Uh, so, yeah, so it says, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. That's kind of serious. <laughs> the entire assembly must stone them. They must be put to death. So it's like he's, he's really serious about his name and really serious about people who take lightly of that, who, um, you know, uh, just irreverently use his name and accuse him and, and, and tell people that about who he is and when it's not really who he is. He's really, really serious about blasphemy, really serious about the attack of his name. That's what blasphemy is. It's, it's telling something about God that's not true, that's not real. And that's where it stirs up. It's like you're poking his, his zeal, and he's like, no, like, you are not, that's not going to be allowed. And so he gives that prescription there in, you know, the, the beginning of the days of Israel, that, that blasphemy equals death. Kind of intense. All right, moving on. Uh, God's name is connected to Israel. So uh, clearly, I mean, the Bible, there's stuff in your Bible before the nation of Israel came to being, you know, Genesis and things. And so his zeal for his name, it predates Israel. Before he ever met, before Abraham was born and all that stuff happened, he was already zealous for his name. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But uh, really when he... It's like his zeal was, I don't know the picture I'm getting, uh, but, but his, his zeal was just like, it was there, but when he, he chose to, voluntarily, he chose to, to uh, make his promises to Abraham and then you know, later to his descendants and the people of Israel when he uh, delivered them from Egypt and Mount Sinai and gave them the law and all that. When he chose to reveal himself, 
and join himself to the people, he, he tie, in a way, he tied his zeal for his name to Israel. Meaning he said, um, whatever happens to Israel, good or bad, like my name is forever associated with the people of Israel. So it's like he, he, he hedged himself in, in a way. Again, he's, he's God, but he, he really like hemmed himself in. And really, that's why I said, it, like, quote unquote, risky. Obviously, he knows the end, but it's like, if Israel failed and they wanted nothing to do with God forever and ever and ever, like, he would, he would never be honored. He would never be glorified. Like, he would never get the fullness of what he wants because he chose to join himself to Israel. And so, I mean, that's, that's why the, the Bible is so Israel-centric. And even this, I told you, his zeal for Jerusalem and Israel and his name, it's all interwoven and connected because his, his zeal for his name is, is so bound to what happens to Israel. And he, he's committed to being glorified and honored uh, through making his name great through Israel. So what happens to Israel uh, affects his name greatly. And we'll see that uh, unfold a little bit here later in the notes. So point A, the God of covenant. Uh, flip over to the top of page 3, Genesis 12, 2. This is where he comes to Abraham and he, he promises him. He said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so uh, in this passage, there's a lot of things that could be said about this passage. But one of them, the points that made is he, he basically promised Abraham, I'm going to make you a great name. And so really, like, like, it's like the Lord made the greatness of his own name dependent on the greatness of Abraham's name. Does that, does that make sense? So the more that, the more that Abraham's name is made great, the more God's name is great because he said, I'm going, to make your, I'm going to make your name great. Not you, Abraham, because you're awesome. I'm going to do that. And so as he does that, as he makes Abraham's name great and his descendants, as he lifts them up, like he gets the glory and honor um, as a direct result. So it's, it's this equation that the more Abraham and Israel is exalted and made great, the more God's name is exalted because he joined his zeal for his name to the people of Israel. Okay, so uh, point B, he joined his name uh, to Israel. And just specifically, this, this verse is really, uh, Daniel 9, 19, is really, uh, gives us a, a real glimpse into, um, most of us are Gentiles and we think like Greeks and it's just a completely different way of thinking than the, the people of the Bible by and large. And so this, this is one of those things, one of those verses that I, I think gives us a glimpse into the, the, the Hebraic mindset of how, how central and how, how they got this. The people of Israel got um, the fact that their name was attached to God's name, that those were inseparable. Israel can't be exalted without the Lord being exalted. God can't be lifted up without Israel. Like They're, they're connected, and they got that. And so this is uh, Daniel. Um, love Daniel. I named my, my youngest boy after this, this man. Middle name, uh, obviously. Um, Daniel 9, 19, it says, O Lord, hear, O Lord. Okay, so this is, this is Daniel's prayer. He's in Babylon, exile, and now he's praying. He, he um, ascertained through uh, knowing his Bible that Jeremiah prophesied 70 years, you're going to be in exile, and then Jeremiah said God's going to bring you back. And so Daniel knows that, and so it's 70 years have come up, and so he's praying um, for his people and praying for God to, to do what he promised. So that's the context. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. 
oh my God. So he starts off, he says, Lord, do it, not for us, like, do it for you, do it for you. Like, we're here in exile, your city is in ruins, we're, you know, we're in slavery, like, do it for your sake, for your name. And then he says, uh, he says, oh my, oh my God, because your city and your people, they're, they're called by your name. So Daniel here, he's, he's petitioning the Lord to act because he knows, he's like, he's like leveraging the fact that his zeal is tied to Israel. And he says, God, do you care about your name? Well, remember that thing where you promised to make Abraham's name great and you attached your zeal? Well, we're not doing so good right now. <laughs> we're not exactly exalted in the nations. Everyone's pretty much laughing at us or crying at us or all of the above, and, and so, you know, there's jackals and all these animals inhabiting your city that you're going to dwell in, like, we're, we're kind of a mess, so if you care anything about your name, like, would you get up and, like, make something happen? That's my paraphrase. So Daniel gets real personal, real intense, he's not holding, holding back with God, he's just pouring out the raw, like, Lord, you got to do something for your sake, you know, if you, if you are who you say you are, then you got to, like, you got to fix this. So his zeal is connected to city of Jerusalem, the people of Israel. Point C, Israel is disciplined for his namesake, for the Lord's namesake. So another, uh, another intense passage here. Um, so immediately preceding, so right before the great tribulation, um, this passage and many others, um, pictures Israel being in their land. It's a good thing. They're in their land, but they're, un, they're unfaithful. They're, they're, they actually, they're actually they're actually welcoming the curses of the covenant of the the land covenant because they're they're in the land but they're not walking with God, and so they're they're actually they're actually defi- they says they're defiling the land they're defiling His name because they're they're not walking with Yahweh they're not walking with the Lord they're not representing Him. So this is Ezekiel thirty six says Son of man when the house of Israel lived in their own land, so they're in the land it says they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. And then God says, so, therefore, he says, I poured out my wrath on them. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. So, this, I mean, this, if you kind of open up this, this, this is a, a vast subject, but boils down to essentially, like, um, present-day Israel, they're in the land. They're not walking with the Lord, by and large. And so God, he's, he's, he's promised, again, in this verse and dozens of others, he's promised a future scattering of the people of Israel, again, from their land intense and it's like he's he they're in the land and he's like i'm zealous for my name you're in the land but you're not walking with me and so my strategy is i'm going to scatter you and discipline you and work all these things so that you can turn to me and i can bring you back into my land and so it's it's his he, it's not enough for the lord just that the people of israel or the nation of israel exists he, he he's really 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 committed to them being righteous because remember, his name is connected to Israel, to Jerusalem. And he is really committed to his name being exalted in the sight of all nations. So this next verse, Isaiah 48, I just want you to pay attention to, to how many times the ideas of for my name's sake or related to that appears in this, these few verses. So the Lord says, for my name's sake, there's one, <coughs> I defer my anger for the sake of my praise, there's two, I restrain it for you that I may cut, not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. Three, for my own sake. Four, I do it for how should my name be profaned. Five, my glory I will not give to another. Five times 
in the one in like a few verses, he's like, I'm zealous for my name. I'm zealous for my name. I'm zealous for my name. The whole point of refining you is for my name. And so he's just a little bit of a broken record to communicate us like, he's, I'm really zealous for my name. And I will act for the sake of my name. Well, the next piece, the, the Israel is the, the vessel um, through which he will exalt his name. Um, so what I'm, I'm getting at here, if I understand or if I remember, yeah, so they, they have a, a, an irrevocable calling to be the light to the nations that they would know God and that they would show all the Gentiles who, who God is, who the Lord is through, um, you know, uh, their interaction with him and his glory in their midst. And so they, they have, by and large, uh, like failed uh, their calling, and they're not, they're, not, they're not showcasing the name of the Lord. They're not representing his name well because they're not, they're not walking with him at the moment, by and large, as a nation. And so, top of page four. So it says, but, but when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. So the Lord is just saying, you guys, you're, you're actually profaning my name. And when I, when I drive you from your land and I discipline you in uh, foreign countries and <clears throat> peoples, he says, you're, you're still profaning my name. Like, you're, you're profaning my name. You're not, you're, not, you're not being the salt of the earth. You're not being the light, the city on a hill, as you're supposed to be, as you're supposed to be my, re, my reflection, my representatives to the world around you. That's his rebuke. Part of his rebuke in the end times is Israel. You, you're failing in that. But I just had to, throw, I had to throw this in there because I didn't want to leave this Roman numeral or this point without the promise because God promises, this is Isaiah 60, Israel is failing now, but they will absolutely rise into their calling. God is able to bring that to pass. This is Isaiah 61 through 3. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. So Israel will, will reflect God's name. So where every, all the, the kings and the nations are like, I got to go see God in Israel. I got to, oh my gosh, like Israel's reflecting God. Like, so there's absolutely this, this point, and really the whole chapter of Isaiah 60, it, 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 it gives you a glimpse into Israel walking in their mandate, part of their mandate, and it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter, beautiful picture. So, yes, Israel now and in the end times, they're, they're failing at their calling, but God will absolutely bring that, bring that to pass. Okay, so his next uh, part, his reputation is at stake. So there's a big question mark if God has tied himself to Israel and Israel's not walking with God. There's a big question mark of like, is he going to be faithful to Israel? Is he going to be faithful to do all that he promised? Is his name really going to be exalted? There's this kind of this giant question mark. And of course, we look at some text and we know the answer. But, but there, there, there's this, 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 this period where the nations of the earth that will look at Israel, kind of everyone's kind of unsettled and like, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what's going on here. It's just, they're, in, they're, they're in this limbo. So the Lord's name is at stake began, again because he tied himself to Israel. And they are not walking with him. <clears throat> well, Daniel 12, I just gave you the, the reference there. Um, it's clear that uh, they prophesied that the worst uh, time for Israel uh, is yet to come. That the period of the Great Tribulation will surpass every previous period that Israel has walked through. Super intense. And during this time... Um, 
um, Israel and, and the Lord, Lord his, his name is going to be attacked from, from multiple levels we'll look at. So this is the first one, 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. It says, knowing, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing and following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, they, they got some attitudes as they're saying that. You know, where is the promise of his coming? Like, why are you holding on to hope? Things have continued on. Like, you Christians, you Jews, you say that God is going to do all these things. But, like, look at you. You guys are a mess. Um, the Christians, like, you guys are all a mess. And the Antichrist is getting, like, killing you guys. It's like, where is, like, you guys keep saying he's going to come. But, like, things are going to continue on as they always have. Like, your God is not coming that's going to be the attitude of, of the scoffers, many of the nations uh, participating in, in, in this, this mocking spirit. You know, just thinking of, you know, Jesus and, and the, the cross and his, you know, the, before he went to the cross and they, they put the, what was it? They put the crown of thorns on him and the robe and they, they bowed down and they said, oh, hail the, the king of the Jews. And they, they mocked him, although like, it was tr- obviously true he is, but they, this is this the spirit of, of of mocking, if that's a thing. Um, this this it, it's going to be like showcased and evident in the in the end times, like more than any other generation. There's going to be this this attack against the name and character of the Lord. So that's all the nations. Well, his name and his city is going to be to be mocked. Again, I, I gave you uh, the during the period of the Babylonian exile, Israel or. Jerusalem specifically was a mess. The city was in ruins. The temple was destroyed. They carried away all of the treasuries, things to Babylon. Like, they were a mess. And, and it says in uh, multiple passages that, that the name of Israel, Jerusalem, it, it was a byword. It was a word that you know, people like mocked and almost like a, a cuss word or almost like a, a, the joke of every nation. They're like, huh. remember that, you know, that, that nation would that, you know, that the God like delivered them from the exodus or whatever. I heard you know, my father's tell me that story, but like now, like their nation is in ruins, like they're an ash heap, like that's, you know, they, they just mock that. Well, it's, it's going to happen again. Um, it's going to happen again, top of page five. So this is uh, Deuteronomy 28. <clears throat> yeah, so they're, so sorry, they're Daniel 9, that just gives the the past that already already happened in history. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all those who are around us. <coughs> That's the past. It already happened. Yet in the future is Deuteronomy 28. This lays out the, the different curses of the, the covenants. Um, Israel, when they're not walking with God, they get a list of things that start to happen to them to get them to repent. This ultimately has its full fulfillment in the end times. And so this is a, a, a prophecy, a future a promise. It says, you will become a thing of horror, a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. So intense. So, so the Lord's name during the tribulation is because of Israel's failure, it's, God's name is going to be like dragged in the mud. Like people are going to like his name is not going to, it's not, he's not going to have a good name um, through the period of the tribulation. Well, it continues, the taunts of the Antichrist. So the man of sin, he, you better believe the most wicked, pompous, prideful man, he's going he's gonna to have some thoughts against the Lord. Um, to Revelation uh, 13, 5, it says the beast, it's just a name for the Antichrist, <clears throat> it says the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, <coughs> and it was allowed 
to exercise authority for 42 months. So this here, again, it, it was allowed to exercise authority. So the Lord sovereignly, just in, in the whole, you know, his ways are not our ways. The Lord, like, sovereignly lets the Antichrist, this blasphemous man who just can't keep his mouth shut, say the most horrible things about him. And he, like, gives him, he gives the Antichrist his day to shine. For three and a half years, he just gets... Um, uh, more or less a free reign. He is resisted on some different levels, but more or less like free reign to just speak everything and anything about God, God without a lot of consequences, without a lot of, of retribution. Um, it, it grows increasingly as the Lord's return draws near. The Lord starts sending plagues and bowls and things against him. Um, so the Lord does deal with that. Um, but so yeah, the Lord is, he's, he's setting up <clears throat> the Antichrist for this this final showdown, it's almost like, okay, the Antichrist is saying that he is God. Um, Revelation 13 there, I'll just paraphrase it. Um, he, not only Antichrist says things about God, but he's got this false prophet, super anointed guy who's doing all these signs and wonders, basically saying, confirming everything that the Antichrist said is true. And so not only is Antichrist saying it, but he's got signs to back it up. And so it's super intense. And the Lord's almost like, he's just like doing this. He's like, keep coming. Like, I can take it. Like, you know, keep keep profaning my name. He's like, I got a day circled on my calendar. We're going to have a showdown and we'll see whose name is exalted. You know, Antichrist, your name may be rising now, but we'll see in the end. We'll see who gets the, the last the last straw, or however that phrase goes. Last laugh. last laugh. Thank you. I knew the last straw was wrong. See who gets the last laugh. Um, again, the Lord, he's, he's really dramatic. He's not into like just quick, easy. He's into all the complex emotions, the good, the bad, the ugly. He's, he's in and do it all. He's a, he's a story writer. He's a poet. He's, he's masterful. He, 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 he's really into the drawing out the story. And so he's setting up a showdown with the Antichrist, the man of sin. Okay? Well, Israel themselves, the name of the Lord will be under attack by the people of Israel. Because they're going, th they're going through, you know, they, the Antichrist comes and sets up the image in his temple, starts, you know, unleashing fury on them. Like, like most of them, this catch them off guard. It's, it's, that, it's that thing that um, Luke 21 talks about, the, the day of the Lord coming upon you like a trap. Many of the Jews, they're not suspecting this. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, like they're, they are getting beat down. And so the, they're getting put into exile. They're getting killed. And so their head is spinning. And so at the beginning of this as this drama unfolds, like uh, Isaiah 49 just gives this real painful um, insight really into the heart of the people of Israel. Um, again, not every Jew, but lots of them. This will be kind of the banner over, over the people of Israel, a common thread in their hearts. It says, Zion said, the Lord, the Lord has forsaken me. They feel forsaken. They feel like the Lord forgot them. All that they're happening, all that's happening to them, they feel Especially the you know the, the pain of Israel, you know in 1948 being brought back into the land, and like having the pride about that, and it's a good thing. But then the coming scattering, like so many of them are going to be like, we're here again, like being driven from our land. Like it's going to be so, so so painful for them, and they're going to enter this this lie that again it's really it, it's accusation against the Lord that He has forgotten us, He has forsaken us. And so, again, the Lord's name, every angle, the nations of the earth, the Antichrist, Israel, his name is being not esteemed in, you know, in, in, for who he really is. Well, the good news is uh, God's disciplines uh, run their course on Israel. 
and they start to turn, they start to humble their hearts. And this is just a, uh, another beautiful picture into Israel as they're, they're starting to turn their hearts towards the Lord. They, they do the same thing that Daniel did, actually. They appeal, they say, Lord, come and save us for your namesake. So this is Psalm uh, 79. They will, they will cry, they'll pray, help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of your name. Deliver us. Atone for our sins. Again, not for our sake, because we deserve it. They say, for your name's sake, because remember, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You did the whole covenant thing. Like, for your sake, would you act? Why should the nations say, where is their God? And so they're, they're again, they're, they're appealing to God. They're poking him in his zeal. They're like, Lord, you're our God. We, you know, royally botched it. We messed up big, but like, Lord, this is greater than us. This is about your name. So would you, would you do something? And so the Lord, he... He listens to that, and uh, that it's part of what gets his heart to, to take up his sword and to go and, and move and act on their behalf. Okay, points, uh, Roman numeral four, the day of his jealousy. So we'll start in uh, there, point A. He stirs up his zeal. So uh, I love this passage, Isaiah 42. <clears throat> um, We'll start with the underlying part. It just says, for, for a long time, uh, this is the Lord speaking, it says, for a long time I've held my peace. He says, I, I've kept still and restrained myself. So as, as Israel has been unfaithful, you know, even through the, the tribulation period, as the, the nations rise in the, the greatest level of mocking against his name that ever has been, as Antichrist staunts, starts to throw his taunts in there, as Israel is accusing him that you've forgotten, like, like he's, he's actually waiting and restraining um, and he's not silent. He's, he's storing up all these things in his heart. It's like this, this, this you know, I, I think of it as like this tornado that's swirling in, inside of him. And the more that time goes on, the winds, you know, they start spinning faster and faster and faster. And it's this, this hurricane that's in his heart. And then it's released um, there in the last part of uh, uh, verse 13, 14. Uh, Jesus said, uh, now I will cry out like a woman in labor. That's Quite a, yeah, that's an intense thing. I will cry out like a woman, and later I will gasp and pant. And then the, all the other passages, verses after that, are just the most intense things ever. So it's like that, that tornado that was inside of his heart, like storing up again for, for generations and generations. And then in the beginning part of the end times, it, like there's a day when he, when he gets released, when that tornado just goes out, and he like, he doesn't lose his mind, but he gets real close. Like, he just like unlets it go. He's he's not he's not restrained. He's not cute. He's not like, I mean, fire in his eyes. Like he's he's not just like the meek shepherd in this moment. Like he's the fierce bridegroom, zealous, greater Moses, like Joshua kicking butt. Like he's he is a little unrestrained in in this moment when his zeal is released. So the the day of his jealousy, the end times are a day when when he again stores up all those. All the things that he's seen and heard, it says he, like, nothing is hidden from him. He sees every thought and intention of the heart. Um, so way more than we see on the news, his name getting mocked. Like, he sees every human heart. And so there's a, there's a day when he, the end times, that he, he acts on that zeal for his name. He goes, he's like, now I'm going to go and make my name great again. Watch what I do. You know, get out of my way or get with me. Like, he gets, he gets real serious. Um, <clears throat> so he will not share his glory with another. It's this super intense verse, Isaiah. It's just a little bit backed up in 42, verse 8. It says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. 
point C, his name will be feared. <clears throat> Just um, these verses I gave you several. Yeah, gave you several verses there um, that just reiterate the, 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 the repeated, um, repeated theme. The repeated theme of when, when he judges, when he, when he acts in that zeal, that it causes great fear. Like everyone is just seeing the Lord in the zeal. Remember all the scoffers that say, where is the sign of his coming? And now they see him coming. Like they lose, they're, they're freaked out. Like that's the verse in Revelation where they're like, you know, let mountains like cover me and let's get in the crannies and let's, you know, stand behind this pole and like block ourselves. Like they're, they're trying to do everything to like get away from his terrifying presence because they're like, oh snap, we said he wasn't going to come and we we're mocking and we we're all cutesy and now like, He's, he's coming, and he's not happy. Um, so, it, like, there's, like, him coming and him rising up and acting. It says he, he clothes himself in zeal like a garment and says they will, they will fear the name of the Lord. Um, some of these other phrases, top of page 7, says that he, uh, Isaiah 2 is just, it, it really paints a picture. It says that he, he comes in his splendor of his majesty. It says he ri- rises to terrify the earth. So he terrifies all those who have, have mocked him and, and disdained his name and, and uh, participated in that, in that spirit, that antichrist spirit. Isaiah 64 says that he will rend the heavens. It's a prayer, but he, he will fulfill it. He says he will rend the heavens and he'll make his name known to his adversaries that the nations would tremble at his presence. And so it gets really, really intense. Well, when he comes uh, on the day of his zeal, he will expose the the futility of trusting an idol. So th- this is a really, uh, really fascinating, and again, is um, just the, the poetic nature of the Lord and His leadership, and, and and how like, just at times we look at the Lord and like, wow, you're you're really like, you're not really acting like I think you would. Like you're, you're breaking out of my box. You're acting like a, like an actual husband would. You're, you're kind of like you're like actually acting like a, if I was married to my wife and someone was touching my wife, like. You're acting like how I would, like probably. Like you're not like God and restrained. And it's like you're, does that make sense? Like he gets a little like raw here. So this is, um, where are we at? This is uh, Deuteronomy 32. This is point D. He will expose the futility of trusting in idols. Um, the verse above, I just gave you that you guys are familiar with it probably. The, the showdown of God and, and Baal. Um, when Elijah, he's like dumping all the water on it and he's like all the Baal guys are dancing around, cutting themselves and he's like, where's your God? You know, like is he, is he on vacation? Is he going to the bathroom? Like where is he? He's not doing anything. He's like, I, or Elijah's like mocking them and then he calls down on God's name and God's, you know, the story he comes with the fire and just consumes it and so that's, it's the showdown and, uh, and this, this happens again, the, the showdown again um, in the end times. This is Deuteronomy 32. Um, says, the Lord will vindicate his people and, and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone. So when, he realized, when Israel comes to the point of they're getting beat down, they're, they're trying to resist, they're trying to do everything, but there's a point where they literally, they're just laying on the ground. Like they, got, they got nothing left to give. They're completely helpless under the scourge of the Antichrist. And says, God says, in that moment, before he, we all know the story, we know he's going to rise up and act on their behalf. But before he does that, he, he kind of draws it out. And again, this is the jealous husband thing. He, he goes to them because Israel had been trusting in idols. They had been giving their heart to false gods. And so he looks at them. I'm, I'm, kind, of being, I'm kind of being playful, but I'm uh, trying to paint a picture. He looks at them as they're on the ground, you know, beaten and bruised and helpless. And he's like, where are your gods now? 
Where are your, those gods that you were trusting? Like, like where are they? It says, where are your gods? The, the rock in which you took refuge, who ate the fat of your sacrifices? He's like, let them rise and help you. You can't do anything right now. Let them, those gods that you gave your heart to, like, if you love them so much and those gods are so great, like, why don't they help you? So he's almost like for a moment, he's just sitting on the sidelines. He's like, you know, he's kind of he's ticked. He's like, I know I'm going to help him, but I'm not ready yet. I, I kind of want to draw this out a little bit. So he, he gives, the, again, the, the showdown, he gives the idols a chance to come and save Israel. And then, of course, you know, their idols, they don't have hands, they don't have ears. Like, they're, they can't help Israel at all. And so, uh, but he, he lets them sit in that. He, he, he exposes in a moment just the futility of, like, trusting in idols. Like, what a, what a, a hopeless, like, foolish thing. And then uh, just in, in, the, in, the, in the end there, again, he doesn't just leave them in that standing on the sidelines. He, he tells them, okay, like, now the good news. He says, I, see, now that I, even I, I am he, and there is no other God before me. He says, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there's none that can deliver from my hand. So he, he essentially says, he says, you are powerless and helpless. Your idols won't save you. He's like, I will do it. Like, watch, watch me. Watch me move. Watch me save you. Watch me deliver you. And so it's, it's, it's him kind of committing his, his help. He's committing his, his assistance. He's, he's saying to Israel, like, I will be the one that will save you. And you, you will, like, when I do that, you know, that, like, the, the spirit of, they look on the one they pierce and all that, like, the ache of their heart, that, that, that it kind of fuels all that. Okay, point E. Again, this is the day of his, of his zeal. Uh, point E, he will keep his promises um, this is uh, Ezekiel 39, uh, therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel and I will be jealous for my name. So the point I'm making here, and we'll do this one really quickly, um, is just that his, his day of his zeal for his name is the day when he fulfills every single promise, all the covenant the promises to Abraham, the promise to the people of Israel, the promise, all of that stuff to David, all of those, those covenants, those promises the, that his name is attached to that says, God, you promised that. If you're, if you're really who you say you are, you're going to do all that. Well, the end times, it says that's the day when he does that, when, he's, when he restores the fortunes of Jacob. You can, you can substitute that, that phrase, restores the fortunes of Jacob. You can substitute that for, like, he does everything he promised. He does all of his faithfulness to his covenant, so it says he will be jealous for his name, which means he, he's like he's going to make all those things happen. He's going to restore the fortunes of Jacob. He's going to bring the national salvation and deliverance and that, that Messiah that destroys the enemies of God that they've been hoping for for generation, generation. He's, he's going to do all that, and it's in the day of the Lord. So his name will be exalted as he, as he does that. Okay. Next piece, he will vindicate his name through uh, the faithfulness of Jacob. So I'm not going to read, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read this whole passage, but um, this is Ezekiel 36. This is really um, a really powerful passage when uh, basically it says, uh, again, your ways are not, your ways are, God's ways are not our ways. So we, we would say, God's like, in the beginning of the tribulation, he's like, I want to make, He's like, my name is not being honored. Uh, my name is like disdained, it's mocked. He said, I want to make my name great. And how, he's like, how is he going to do that? Well, he, he's going to, the people who are known by his name, he's going to bring them through the most intense thing they've ever endured. So he's going to like, 
if this is the level of his like name being praised, he's gonna like lead his people through the worst thing ever, and so it's gonna like his name and, and reputation is just gonna go down and down and down because his people are getting beat up. And it's like, Lord, that's how you're gonna make your name great by taking Israel through that. And he's like, yes, but but it, it but but watch, wait for the end of the story. Um, and so this, this verse just really goes into the heart of the nations. It, it uses the phrase that says he, he vindicates the holiness of his great name, which just means he, he, like, he makes good on his promises. He, he says, he says um, you know, the things that I spoke, the way that I've done this, I, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the fruit that it produces. I'm going to show you. You may think um, my leadership is bad. Like, how could you let Israel suffer? Um, the people known by your name, how could you let them suffer like worse than the Holocaust? Like, how, how could you do that? And he said, like, like watch, like, I, I will vindicate, you know, wisdom will be justified by what it produces. And so that, that's kind of essentially what it's getting here. Um, you know, it says phrases like, I will remove, at the end of it, I'll remove the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. And then this phrase in, or this uh, passage, Isaiah 59, I think really, really puts it powerfully. Um, just on the underlined phrase there, it says, my words I, I have put in your mouth. Um, so this is, oh, let's read it. It says, they shall never depart, never depart out of your mouths or the mouths of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, generation after generation. It says, from this time forth and forever. So this is, the context of this is he's restoring the people of Israel in the millennium. They're, they're choosing him again. And he's saying, you know, the, 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 the suffering that I brought you through and now you're turning, it says, like, once you turn to me, it says, I'll, like, you will never, ever, your, you, your children, your children's children, like, every single person from the downline of the whole, like, all Israel got saved thing that we believe and pray, like, every single person after that says that your children, your children's children, like, they, they will never, ever again depart from me. They'll never, ever again be unfaithful. And so his, his wisdom of, of his, his name will be vindicated because he, he brought Israel through that, the trial of the great tribulation, which is, is the most intense thing ever, but it produces like an entire nation that's faithful to him, that's tenderhearted, that will never, ever leave him. And so he's saying, you know, the question is like, was it worth it? And he's like, look at what it produced. Like my wisdom will be justified. My name will be vindicated because I knew what it was going to take to get Israel faithful and he's like, now, I, now I've made a people that are, will be pure and they will never depart from me. Isaiah 60 here, just the, the promise uh, that they will possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may display my beauty. So again, he displays his beauty of his name, his, his wisdom as he uh, produces that righteousness in Israel. Okay, well, here's another fun one, and we'll wrap up here in about five minutes. Keep me honest. Um, so this is, another, this is the fun one. Zeal has prepared a place of eternal judgment. So God, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So he's always been zealous for his name. He currently is zealous for his name. He will always be zealous for his name. So it's not like after the end times are all done, it's not like God's like, okay, now I'm not zealous for my name anymore. Like, we did the thing. All of my enemies are put under my feet. Like, now I can kind of throw off my zeal. It's like, no, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his, his zeal, in his zeal, he's like, he's like, part of me has this, this burning, this raging, this, this uh, like never-ending, like, um, 
payment for those who refuse to acknowledge my name. And so Isaiah 30 here, we'll just read it, um, says the Assyrians, um, when it says that phrase, uh, it often refers to, uh, in prophetic literature, it refers to the, uh, the Antichrist himself and his army. So that's just a, one of the title. It calls them the Assyrian or the Assyrians. So it says the Assyrians, <clears throat> which is the Antichrist, said they will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. Battling with a brandished arm, he will fight for them. And then it says, for a, a burning place has, been, has long been prepared. It, it's clear from the context, this is, this is talking about the lake, of, the lake of fire. It says, indeed, for the king, that's the king of the Syrians, that's the Antichrist again. It says, for the king, it is made ready. It's pyre, uh, made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulfur, kindles it. So it says, there's this lake of fire. It's been prepared from eternity past. This, this place of my zeal against the wicked, those who don't acknowledge my name, it's been prepared. And it says the very breath of the Lord like kindles it. And so the picture is, in, in the millennium and after that, when everything, every tear has been wiped away, it's all perfect and beautiful and glorious, there's going to be this place, the lake of fire, that's going to be visible. Um, you know, Brad, uh, during the Revelation study, he did a whole session on this. I don't know the title, but um, he talked about how hell is like a, like a fire. It's an eternal reality. It's always going to be on earth. And it's, it's this memorial rising that uh, God's zeal is, is, play, is put there, a place for his zeal against the Assyrian, the Antichrist's zeal against the wicked. It's, it's gonna, his breath is going to kindle that. It's going to be ongoing and active in doing that. And so I, that's just a really interesting. Like he's just like, I'm always going to be zealous against wickedness for those who didn't acknowledge my name. Okay, um, <clears throat> point five here, top of page nine. Um, I'm not even going to touch this, and it's painful, but um, I'll give a quick, I guess I'll touch it a little bit. So the, um, the, the scripture is really clear. The most repeated, like, monumental act ever, you know, in, in scripture is it's the Exodus and all that he did. And that, the verse I gave you there, Jeremiah 23 um, basically it says, hey, as cool as the exodus was, there's going to be another exodus in the last days that's going to be way cooler and overshadow that so that in the aftermath of that, like you're not even going to like, the first exodus was the talk of the town, but now it's like people are like, the first exodus, like that was cool, but the, the second exodus, like oh my gosh. And so during the first exodus, it was all about God revealing his name with a you know, mighty arm, hand outstretched arm, you know, raising up Pharaoh so he could show his zeal of his name. And so it's all about, you know, the nations of the earth looking at what he did for Israel and be like, wow, that, that God of Israel, he's, he's pretty impressive. So it's all about God's name. That was the whole point or one of the main points. And so the second exodus, it's, it's the same thing. He does all of these mighty acts, delivering Israel, bringing about salvation again. Jesus, at the, as the greater Moses, he's physically on earth and he's doing the the Moses thing, he's doing the signs and the wonders and, and all that, freeing the captives. It's, it's all about his name getting honor. And so I um, read it on your own, your own time, but if, if, if you read it, um, kind of the pattern was, was what each, each of these points is a different way he's making his name great. And the, the top verse is the first exodus of Egypt, and then the second verse is the like, direct parallel in the second exodus, the end time. So it's it just gives you a picture, like, basically, he's going to do all the Exodus stuff. He's going to do it again for the greatness of his name. So that's that. Skip over that. 
it's a little painful. Well, we'll end this session here in just a few minutes. Uh, worship leader, you can come on up. Uh, we'll end in point uh, six, Roman numeral six. So again, I told you he's he's just not he's not just zealous for his name until the end times, and then the end times comes and he's like, no, I'm done. He's he's always gonna be zealous for his name. So this Roman numeral is kind of his his zeal for his name after the dust settles, after all the victories have been won. You know, Satan and Antichrist, false prophet, they're in the lake of fire. Every tear has been wiped away. The dust is settled. Um, and even before that, like during the millennial kingdom, actually a lot of these verses are millennial kingdom. Um, but he, it says all the earth is going to sing the glory of his name. So just the the connection between he's zealous for his name and, and part of that expression of his zeal for his name is he's going to have his name, both his deeds, his character. Remember all those things that I said are associated with his name. Like forever, all of creation and all of his people, you know, the Malachi 111 verse of in every place his name will be na- made great. Um, the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Everyone forever is going to be singing of the name of the Lord. And so through his, his zeal is going to be manifest through the, the hearts of, of all of us saying, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Remember what you did. Remember who you are. And you continually show us more. And that's just amazing. Well, he's going to be, this last verse I'll just read, he's going to be famous forever. So this is Psalm uh, 135. Verse 13 and 14 says, Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. This is for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on the servant. So forever, his, his name, zeal for his name, forever, he's going to get that which he wanted, the worship, the love of the saints, his name being lifted up forever. He's, he's going to get that. And again, all, all that painful stuff that he did uh, to and through Israel, it, it had a purpose, and it leads to this place of his name, of him being enthroned in Jerusalem with Israel. He will be our God. We will be his people. It's this glorious end of the story. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.